special speaker to uh, speak to us for Sunday school, Brother Tom Tannis. He had, uh, I was out of town at camp and we had it all set up and then uh, some circumstances that were just beyond his control uh, popped up and he was not able to be here. And so, uh, but I appreciate him. I thought, well, why don't we have him come and teach anyway, since he got that lesson ready. And, uh, and I look forward to hearing it. So we're going to take a break from our regular, uh, regular um, Sunday school lesson that we're studying on Elijah. And, uh, and I'm going to have Brother Tom Tannis come ahead, Brother, and, uh, and have him teach. I certainly appreciate him. He's been a, a blessing, and, uh, and hopefully we've been a, a blessing and a help to him as well. And I'm looking forward to the lesson. He's going to teach on the King James Bible this morning. Certainly a needed thing. So, amen, amen, Brother. Appreciate you. you. Brother. Amen. Yeah, we'll uh, have a couple of slides up here here in a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to get you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 119 this morning. I uh, started to tell preacher that I changed plans and decided just to teach on the entire Psalm 119 this morning. <laughs> if you've never studied through the book of uh, the chapter of Psalm 119, you really should, uh, because it focuses exclusively on the Word of God and different aspects of it and that kind of thing. So two verses I would have us notice this morning. They are, of course, two of the most commonly quoted verses. Psalm 119, verse number 89. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And as we look at this this morning, the question is for our Sunday school hour, why the King James Bible? Why would we choose this old text? Why would we choose something that was originally translated into English in the 1600s? Why would we decide that's the one? There are many reasons, and we're going to look at a few of them. I did realize this morning that I believe I made a mistake on one of the latter slides, but that's okay. Uh, I never have been taught to count, so you'll have to kind of get over that. Uh, we, uh, we'll be just a minute. We're waiting on uh, Brenton to get back, but I would, I would like you to be aware this morning, and Pastor is aware of this. We will be quoting and showing passages from both the NIV and the New King James this morning. I do not endorse them, I do not use them as a regular basis, but only to show their error. Now, I would also, and this is on the next slide, but we'll go ahead and talk about this for just a moment. I am firmly aware that God can do anything He wants to. I know pastors and preachers that believe that if you're not preaching out of the King James and if you were quote-unquote, saved under some other version that your, your conversion doesn't count. That is not the truth. I am thankful that there is enough of the Word of God that's been preserved by God, not through man's design, but preserved by God to allow a soul to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you're in this room this morning and you use or have used something other than the King James, I do not look at you as a lesser Christian. I do, however, understand that maybe you've not been taught any better. And that is the purpose of this lesson this morning. Now, the problem with these, what I'm going to call altered versions, is the simple fact that it's like drinking 
a bottle of water with just one drop of poison in it. It does have a cumulative effect. It is damaging and detrimental to our Christian walk. The Bible teaches us very clearly that we need what God said. We look at just the two verses that we chose as text verses this morning. The fact that God's word is settled forever in heaven teaches us that God doesn't change anything. The word settled means to be fixed or to be established, to be unmovable. Of course, we are in encouraged in scripture to be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord we are not supposed to be wavering from day to day brother if you could go to slide two i'd appreciate it there in verse number 105 that we quoted a few moments ago the bible says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path this this is necessary for us to be able to see what the adversary is doing to be able to know where we're going Slide three, brother. Uh, my remote does not reach that far back, and this morning I'll simply be using it for its nice little red dot. So slide number three says, God tells us that his word is pure. Uh, I've got a printed copy in front of me in case you're wondering. That's why I don't have to look up each time. But God's word is something that does not have any mixture to it. it it's not tainted in any way. Now, there's a, a whole nother lesson that I prepared years ago. This lesson actually is one that I prepared back in uh, 2015 or 16, 17, somewhere in that neighborhood. So it's been several years ago, and I've taught it before. Don't be surprised by that. There's nothing new in God's Word. But God's Word is pure. And we need to understand that it is, it is designed for, to bring us to a place of health, spiritually speaking to bring us to the place where we understand exactly what God wants from us. You see the second verse there, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. The simple fact that God's word is so perfect should give us a reason to fall in love with God's word, particularly the King James Bible. And as we look at this this morning, we are going to get into, uh, I believe there are 11 verses, somebody can count them up here in a little while, and uh, you'll know when we start because I'll let you know. But uh, I believe there are 11 different passages that I believe that are key indicators as to why we should choose the King James over the other versions. Slide number four. We on four? Yeah, we're on four. Good deal. This is, this is the one point that I believe is the key to the whole King James versus other versions disagreement. And that is the simple fact that in the other versions, over 6,000 words have been removed. Not just changed, completely removed. The Bible tells us that we, as Jesus quotes in Scripture, as you see in Luke chapter 4, that we need every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need every word that God gave us. There's a, a preacher from somewhere I don't remember his name is Stephen Ray Nichols he's got a beautiful singing voice uh, go to YouTube sometime and type in his name and he's got a song I've got an every word Bible and man I tell you what I love it he 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 and his family absolutely do an amazing job on that song and that is what we hold in our hand this morning we have an every word Bible when the King James Bible was translated, it was translated with the idea that it is a word-for-word -word translation of the Hebrew and Greek texts. It is not a, a thought 
association, which is what the others use. They call it a, uh, oh shoot, I can't think of the word now, um, something equivalent. I can't remember what it is now, but dynamic equivalent, that's the phrase. And uh, that is not what the King James does. King James gives us word for word exactly what God wrote down. You notice 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21, the Bible says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God, I am a firm believer in what we call plenary inspiration. God said it, they wrote it. Word for word. They, we often get caught up in the different views of the aspects of the Gospels and the different way that some of them see the same event. God told them to write it that way. I firmly believe that God said, write, thus saith the Lord. And they said, okay, Lord, thus saith the Lord, what's next? We need to understand this. We need to remember this. God even gives us a warning. Slide number five, brother, if you'd be so kind. God even gives us a warning in Scripture about changing his word. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 2, Ye shall not add to, unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Now, we'll just stop right there. You see the rest of it. But when we look at this, God gives us ample warning not to change his word. Now, we know that if the NIV and the New King James translators had had their way, this would not exist. But because of the providence and, and the sovereignty of our God, he saw to it that they did leave the general idea in the Bible. And by their own doing so, they have condemned themselves. There's a quote that has been read. There's a, a book that I've got meant to bring it with me, to be quite honest with you a book talking about the differences between the King James Bible and other versions. And there's a quote at the beginning of one of these books that is by a man named Logsdon. He was one of the translators of the NIV, and in this statement, he says, I fear that I'm in trouble with God. Well, based on the simple fact that God said, don't change my word, yes, he is. If he is God's child, and I honestly believe that, yes, this man is, a child of God, and he was deceived, but he is still in trouble with God because he changed God's word. We need to be extremely cautious about changing it. You see, right here in these verses, they are not to subtract from it. Uh, where's the other one? Uh, I command you not to take away from it, but to keep it. They, by their own admission, understand they are not supposed to change the word of God. Slide number six, brother, if you'd be so kind. And by the way, if anybody's keeping count, there are 24 slides this morning, so we have a ways to go. Slide number six, Revelation chapter 22, verse number 18 and 19. You see them, if any man add unto these things, there in the middle of verse 18, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. I don't know about you guys, but that scares the guts out of me. The simple fact that God says, if I alter his word, he's going to add the plagues of the Bible to my life. I don't know about you guys, but I've read enough of the book of Exodus to know that that's a real problem. But it's not just the book of Exodus, it's also the book of Revelation that talks about God going to add some plagues to people. And so there's a real problem there. Again, we see that this, this warning still remains in place in both the NIV and in the New Kingdom. Slide number seven. This is a chart that I put together back in 2015, 16, whatever year it was when I put it together. 
there are some changes, and you'll see those highlighted out here to the right with the number change. Originally, the NIV back then was the number one bestseller when it comes to top ten Bibles. Now, this is not top ten books of all time. If you search for top ten books of all time, the Bible in general is number one. But unfortunately, when we begin to grade them, we see that even in 2015, the New King was at number two, or the King James was at number two, and New King was down here just a little ways away at verse at number five. Now it's number six, and we see the King James is number four, and we see these others that have moved up, if you will. These other versions are outselling the King James Bible. For a simple reason, and if we look at the next slide, we'll begin to get an idea of why. Slide number eight, the dangers of the New King James Bible. And I focus particularly on the New King here because it was originally proposed as a modernization or an update of the King James Bible. And it was supposed to originally only change the language into a more modern phraseology. Now, I don't like the fact that they changed it at all, don't get me wrong. But had it been that, it might not have been as unpalatable as it is today. The problem is, what we see is there are so many people that they have, I, I guess you would say, wooed to their side, their viewpoint. And these are people that are well respected by many Christians of denominations across the board. It's not just Baptists. We see they've got Bill and Gloria Gaither. If you've ever listened to, uh, how do I want to refer to her? Uh, she thinks she's a preacher. Let's put it that way, Gloria Gaither. If you've ever listened to her quote anything, it is not the King James Bible. It is the New King. They have gotten it, and what they've done is, oh, that sounds so pretty. I like the way that's phrased. And because of the popularity of Bill and Gloria Gaither, They've drawn in all these people that watch their videos, and I'm not criticizing their videos, the older ones in particular. I liked some of the older videos and the music that they had. These days, it's a little too modern for my taste. Pastor Dr. Robert Schuler, Garden Grove Community Church in California, he was a big proponent of it at the beginning. And Pastor Greg Laurie, he's a gentleman that I actually like to listen to on the radio. I enjoyed listening to his sermons. And the problem is, again, because of his popularity and the influence that he had with his people and through radio, he began to draw people away to the new king. I made this comment at a church recently. The problem with, with the last group that you see up there, Duck Dynasty, is the simple fact that every redneck in the country wants his camouflage Bible. Got to have a camo Bible. Because if you're not a camo Bible, you're not a true redneck. You know, and the problem is the new King James put one out and Duck Dynasty was one of the first groups that I'm aware of that said, hey, this is the perfect Bible to have. It's got your camo on it. Uh, no, I don't care what the cover looks like, to be quite honest with you. It's what's inside it that makes the difference. Slide number nine, please. On this page right here, you will see just a handful of words and we'll see more here in just a moment. The word repent has been removed from the New King 44 times. Blood has been removed 23 times. Hell has been removed 22, heaven 50, 
God 51 and Lord 66 times. I don't know about you, but I like to know the fact that my God, my Jesus is my Lord. I like to know the fact that I have a home in heaven. I don't just have a home in eternity somewhere. That could be anything, but it's in heaven. Verse, uh, slide number 10. And yes, I'm, I'm going through these a little bit quick, but we only have about 30 minutes left on this, and I want to see if we can get it done. Notice this chart. This is a chart that's available pretty much anywhere. You can just go on the Internet and Google uh, omissions from NIV, etc., and it should pop up. Notice the second line up here, the word Lord. In the NIV, it was removed 352 times. Look at the NASV. 438 times it was removed from the Bible. Notice the word Lucifer. Removed one time. You say, oh, that's not bad. You see that little star right there next to it? That little star? That tells you that's the only time or the same amount of times that it appears in the Bible. The devil doesn't want us to know his name. The problem is the devil wants us to think he's a little red dude in a suit, a pair of, you know, a little pitchfork, and that he's basically harmless. No, he's not. The devil wants to take away the Word of God from us, and by omitting these words, look up there, if you would, at the word blood. 41 times removed from the NIV, 46 from the NRSV, New Revised Standard, by the way. Notice 157 times from the NCV, and I don't remember what the letters are on that one. This is a real problem. This is just removals, omissions, more than anything. Slide 11, please. Now we are going to begin looking at the differences in key verses with changes that have been made. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 22 should be at the top of the screen right now. And it says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, notice that without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. King James Bible is very clear that if I'm angry with pastor over here for just no apparent reason, I have sinned. Now, if pastor were to walk over and to slap me in the face and I become angry with him, that would be a different story. I have a right, if you will, to be upset about that. I don't think he'd do that, even though I may deserve it sometimes. But notice, if you would, the NIV, the change that they've made. But I tell you that anyone is who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Where is the phrase without a cause? It's missing. This is important because what you see at the bottom of the screen, Mark chapter 3, says, And when Jesus, when he, Jesus, had looked round about on them with anger. We know this story. We, we see this man whose hand is withered and Jesus is getting ready to heal him. And they're, they're already mad at him because of the things that he's done on the Sabbath day. And they're standing in the synagogue and Jesus is getting ready to blow their mind, to be quite honest with you. And Jesus looked at them in anger because of the hardness of their heart. Notice, if you will, the little footnote that I put there that both the New King and the NIV leave that context in place, that Jesus looked roundabout on them with anger. 
Now, it's not phrased exactly like that, but the context is there. And by doing that, by changing this verse, Matthew 5, 22, what they have done is made Jesus a sinner. If Jesus sinned even one time, he could not be our Savior. Because that means he's just like us and he puts his pants on the same way we do. We need a pure Savior. We need a Savior that never sinned. If, if we take their Bible and we say that it is correct, what they have done is made Jesus just like you and me. He is not like you and me. Next slide, please. Number 12. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 13. King James says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am come to call the righteous, not I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice that word, that phrase, to repentance. And if you read the NIV right there, it basically leaves that part out. The reason these slides are set up this way for you this morning is so that you can see, I'm not making this up. We often, as preachers, we tell people the dangers, but without showing it to you, sometimes it's difficult for us to grasp it. This becomes a major problem, because if Jesus says in the King James that he's calling us to repentance, but in the NIV it just says that he came to call sinners, what is he calling them to? When I was a boy, if my mom had stepped out onto the back porch and hollered for me, that would have just meant mom hollering at me. That wouldn't have been anything new. I'm not saying I didn't deserve it. Believe me, I was a wicked boy. But anyway, but if mom had stepped out on the back porch and called me to supper, now that's a little bit different. I understand what's in store. If mom just hollers for me, most of the time it meant a whooping. Yeah, in the old-fashioned sense, you know, not like they say today. An old-fashioned whooping could have been in store because she didn't tell me why she was hollering for me. It's very important that God tells us what he's calling us to. He's calling us to repentance. And I would caution us this morning, we in the room, I believe we are all Christians. We've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior do not get the idea that repentance is only for those that are not saved. Repentance should be a very big part of our life as a child of God. This is a major problem for us. Because the Bible tells us, as you see in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is God's desire. It is the one thing that God is very clear about, one of the things that God is extremely clear about, that it is a guarantee of what God wants from your life. He wants you to come to repentance. And without this, if we change it and use the NIV, what are we being called to? It could be a party down the street, for all I know. The problem is, unfortunately, it could also be a party in hell. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Slide 14, please, brother. John chapter 6, verse number 47. Oh, there we go. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Notice the NIV's equivalent. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Believes what? We all believe things every single day. But are we believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the key difference that we see here. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. According to their version, I can believe that this chair is red and that would be enough. Because I believe something. And the problem is they're watering it down to the point where it really doesn't mean anything. That is the whole point of the NIV, New King, and all of the others like them. Is to take out the parts that are offensive to people and make it proper, if you want to use that word, make it proper to be able for a preacher to preach and teach anything he wants. I could take this verse right here and preach that if you believe that it, all you have to do is wear blue clothing, you could go to heaven. Now that may sound ignorant, and it is, but the problem is that is the issue. You've taken away what, have, what you have to believe on, or who you have to believe on to be more accurate. Slide 15, please. Acts chapter 8, verse number 37. One of the key components to our faith is a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Our denomination as Baptists, we believe that salvation is only had by faith in Christ alone. But the problem is with the change to this verse that they make, we're familiar with this. This is the incident between Philip and the eunuch as he is taken by God or directed by God to go out into the desert and finds this man as he gets there and he begins to teach him from the Old Testament and this Philip, uh, this eunuch asks him a question he, he says here's water what doth hinder me somewhere along the way he's taught him that baptism is a thing we don't really read that in the description in Scripture, but it's there because he simply asks a question. Here's water. What's to stop me from being baptized right now? In the King James Bible, it says, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can. If you look at the other versions, they leave this out. This quote right here, many times is removed in the NKJV, the New King, it's a footnote saying that this verse is omitted from other texts. That's a problem. Because you know what that means? That means that a person can go and be baptized without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and that baptism is what they're teaching will get you to heaven. Baptism will never get you to heaven. I said this in the attendance of my father-in-law one time who was a free will Baptist and I thought he was going to have a heart attack, to be quite honest with you. I don't care how many times you're baptized. You can be baptized so many times that the fish know your name. And it ain't going to get you to heaven. There is no saving grace in the water. That baptism is simply an outward evidence of what God has already done in your heart. Man, I tell you what, I like the idea. I love to watch people be baptized especially when you see one that knows what he was saved from. When he comes out of that water, he's, man, oh man, this is great. I love this. But you know something? That water didn't do anything for him. 
Slide 15. Uh, 16, sorry. I didn't change my paper. <laughs> Go figure. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Remember I told you a whole bunch of times the word blood was removed? This is one of them. Look at the NIV up here. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, at least they're saying we have redemption through Christ, but unfortunately it's not just in Christ and in His name. It's in the shed blood. It's the fact that He went to the cross to pay your penalty and mine that allows us any idea that we could ever be saved and go to heaven. It is the payment that needed to be made. God has always required a pure payment. Notice the New King says there's a footnote saying that the verse is omitted in other texts. The problem is it ignores three key verses in Scripture. It basically negates them. Hebrews 9.22 in the King James says, Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no, no remission. If Jesus did not die on the cross... We have no salvation. If Jesus didn't die, and, and, and I'll say this right now, Jesus didn't just shed one drop of blood. Now, I'm a firm believer that if that's all he wanted to shed, it would have been enough. But he shed it all. He shed it all to prove to us that he was willing to give every drop of blood that he had to pay for our sin debt. Guys, this issue of them removing the blood from the Bible is a real problem. I get so angry. There are songbooks, hymnals that have removed the blood from old songs. I'll be quite honest with you. I've come this close to throwing a few of them. It makes me mad because it's the blood that makes a difference to me. Notice, if you would, the other two passages, Romans 3, verse 25. I mentioned this a few moments ago in passing. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. He is that substitute, that death that we couldn't, that, that payment that we couldn't make. He did that for us. Notice the last one, Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We are justified. We are saved by His blood. Slide 17, please. Matthew 1, verse number 25. King James says, And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called His name Jesus. Both the NIV and the New King James Remove the word firstborn. By removing that, it first of all, it gives an idea that there's a possibility, ever so slight, that Mary was not a virgin. Now, I am not a worshiper of Mary, but the virgin birth is extremely important because without the virgin birth, Jesus was born with the same sinful nature that you and I have. Now, should this have been combined with one of the ones a little while ago? Sure. But you know something, it's just as important, and it is a specific change that they made. Had Jesus not been virgin-born, He would not be able to be our payment. He would not be able to be the substitutionary death, to provide the substitutionary death for us. Slide 18. 
This is one that actually kind of makes me angry, to be quite honest with you. When I look at the others, there's a possibility that it could have been done through ignorance. This one is willful. Matthew 7, 14 says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Notice the change that they make. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that, which leads to life, and there are few that find it. Difficult does not mean the same thing as narrow. Narrow simply means that there is a restriction in the way. It's not as wide as people think it is. The problem is when you change it to the word difficult, it gives you the impression that if you work hard enough, you can get there on your own. That's not true. There is no biblical basis for any access to heaven by works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is not of works. If we could work for our salvation, if we could be good enough to go to heaven, Jesus came in vain. This is a major issue, and they are simply trying to justify their teachings, the teachings of many churches that use these, that you can work hard enough to go to heaven. That's not the truth. The problem is, I'll be quite honest with you, I'm tired of people lying to us. Slide 19, please. Romans chapter 4, verse number 25. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I've often wondered what it would have meant had Jesus not got up from the dead. We'd have no promise of eternal life, for one thing. But notice the change that they make. It says he rose from the dead because of our justification. By their teaching, our justification, our being right with God, is the reason that Jesus got up from the dead. It doesn't make a lick of sense, does it? The problem is there are a great many different verses that have been translated in these other versions that don't make sense. And I've mentioned this one recently too, Job chapter 6, verse number 6. Take a look at the Bible in basic English, BBE, if you're going to Google it. The passage in Job chapter 6, verse 6 in the King James Bible says that there's no taste in the white of an egg. How many of you have ever tasted the white of an egg? It doesn't have any flavor, does it? It really doesn't. I mean, wow, what an amazing verse. You look at it in the Bible in basic English, and it says there's no flavor in purslane. I thought you were supposed to be making this easier. What is purslane? I have no idea, to be quite honest with you. P-U-R-S-L-A-I-N. I'm like, that just doesn't make any sense. And there are a couple of other versions that do the same kind of thing. Some of the translations are just downright ignorant. They don't make any sense at all. Slide 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 21, the Bible says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, as a preacher, this verse kind of makes me angry, the fact that they changed it too, because look what they changed. We read the New King 
version of it, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom didn't know God, which is accurate, though phrased different, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That is not the foolishness that God's talking about. The foolishness is not in the message. The foolishness is in the act of preaching. Have you ever, you ever watched some preachers? Some of, us, some of us, to be quite honest with you, are kind of humorous to watch. You see these guys, they, they got these ropes on the side of their neck that they call blood veins, you know? The one that goes across their forehead, too. You know, they get real excited, their face gets red, and all of a sudden his shirt's about two sizes too small, and his head just swells up like a balloon, a big cherry-colored balloon. Man, it's kind of funny to watch. It's like, man, look at him. He's going to have a heart attack if he's not real careful. It is kind of foolish what we do. The world thinks preaching is foolishness, but it's not about the message being foolish. What we do, to be quite honest with you, brother, the other preachers in the room, the world thinks we're crazy anyway. Praise God, at least we might as well act it, right? <laughs> in most cases. It's not the message that's supposed to be foolish. And both the New King and the NIV both say that it's the message that's the problem. Slide 21. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 6, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. One of the key components of our faith is the simple fact that we have a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The key to that is they are equal. They are all the same in power, in holiness, in any other aspect that you want to look at. They are equal. They are the same. And Jesus in this verse, the Bible says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't detracting from God in any way by claiming to be God. If they are equal, there's no detriment there at all. But that is not what we see in the NIV. Look at that. And NIV says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What? That just doesn't make any sense either. Jesus is equal with God. And it, I'll be quite honest with you. Sometimes these changes make me upset. They get me angry. Our God, our Jesus Christ, is God in the flesh. He was 100% equal with God. And by their phrasing it this way, it's like using inside information to go down and buy yourself some stocks and bonds. Now, that would be something you wouldn't want to do. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what God's talking about in this passage. Slide 22. Remember, we only have 24, I think it is. Slide 22, Hebrews chapter 16, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. The Bible says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Jesus took on himself the same form that you and I wear, flesh and blood. Born of a specific group of people, the Abrahamic people, the Israelites. And he became of the line of David. We read about it in Scripture. You can look at the first part of the book of Matthew and it's right there for you. But notice what the New King and the NIV have both translated it to. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels. What? 
This is not talking about how Jesus performed his earthly ministry. This is talking about the simple fact that Jesus came and became human. Have you ever heard the old song that talks about he was so much, so much man that he slept in the boat, he was so much God that he calmed the seas when he spoke? That's what this is talking about. He came down here, and until he revealed himself, I'm sure a lot of people just thought he was the carpenter's son. We even see that in Scripture. Guys, when, when we look at his earthly aspect, before he revealed himself and truly showed that he is the Son of God, you'd have thought he was an ordinary human. These pictures that you see of this hippie Jesus, that's not the Jesus that I serve. You look at these pictures of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, that's not the Jesus that I know. I hate to tell you this, but when Jesus lived in Israel, he would have looked just like the rest of them. The Bible says there was no beauty in him. He, there was nothing spectacular about him. He was just an ordinary human being. It was the simple fact that they didn't know that he was God. 23, please. Slide 23 says, Hebrews 10, 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see, when you and I get saved, God doesn't say, oh, uh, go and do better. God changes us instantly. There are two different types of sanctification, and we'll talk about them here in just a moment. But we need to understand that when Jesus, when we believe in Jesus Christ and the penalty that he paid for us, the death that he, that he suffered on our behalf, we are instantly changed permanently changed. It's not something that's going to take a while. You see the difference? They are being made holy. They are being sanctified. Salvation is not a process. Salvation is instantaneous at the moment of belief and faith in Jesus Christ. There is no growth to that salvation moment. There is growth in our Christian walk. There are changes that we must grow into. Some of the habits that we all had prior to getting saved. I'll be quite honest with you. When I got saved, I had some pretty bad habits. You can ask my wife. And it took a while for God to help me to overcome them. You wouldn't have wanted to hear me teach this lesson back then. Guys, some of that takes time. But the sanctification that this is talking about... Next slide, please, brother. Slide 24... Two kinds of sanctification in the Bible. The word sanctification means an act of making holy or setting apart. There is what I call positional sanctification, which is what this verse is talking about. We are set aside by God. You go to the book of Revelation, and in several other different places, it talks about that God will separate the sheep from the goats. We are no longer a goat. Uh, when I was a kid, we raised goats. Goats will eat anything. Tobacco out of a tobacco pouch. Uh, they'll eat the labels off of tin cans. They're a nasty creature, to be quite honest with you. A sheep won't do that. If you pollute the ground that a sheep is near, he will not eat from it. He'll starve to death first. That's the sanctification that we're talking about this morning. The change in nature of who we are. Next slide. Next slide. 
There's 26. Here's 25. But then there's practical sanctification. This is the part where you and I this morning grow in our faith. Add to your faith, Philippians tells us. We are constantly supposed to be growing. And if you're in this room this morning, I look around the room and many of you, uh, you've, you passed me a few years ago. Let's put it that way. You've got me by a few years. But you know something? You should still be growing too. There is never a moment... There's never a moment when you and I as Christians should stop growing. And I would, I would encourage you this morning to this lesson. Don't let this be the only time you look at it. Keep this in the forefront of your mind because this is a moment of growth for you if you've never been taught any better. When we come to the place where we realize just how good God is and what He's done for us, preserving a perfect book for us, why would we accept anything less? Last slide, please. Here's the mistake. If I counted right, there are actually only 11 verses, not 13. What's really bad is I changed it, put 13. And I had 11 and then changed it to 13, thought I miscounted. But I think I miscounted when I miscounted. There's good English for you right there. If these 11 or so verses create such a drastic doctrinal difference, should we not expect that the thousands of other changes that they've made make as much, if not more, difference? Do not accept less than perfect. This is what we need this morning. We need the King James Bible. Preacher, it's all yours. Amen. Appreciate that. So we stand to our feet and uh, certainly appreciate all that information. Uh, what, a, what a great lesson. So important it is that we stand on the King James, and we know why uh, we believe the King James Bible. There's so many Bibles being just flooding the markets, and it's important for us to understand why uh, we believe the King James. Let's just have a hymn of invitation, and I always like to have an opportunity for you to respond to the message or the lesson that's taught, and uh, so let's have a word of prayer, and as the piano plays, we'll have a short invitation. Father, we thank you for this lesson. God, we thank you for your word being taught, and God, the importance of your word. God, we thank you for the King James Bible. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. I pray that you would just impress upon people, Father, this, uh, the importance of this letter. We'll thank you for that. God, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just want to thank him for his word. Thank him for the preservation that he's done and thank him for allowing you to have a copy of his work. Whatever the need, the altar's open.